It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. There's something in there, is it? There's something wrong with that. Do you think they're back there? He's got you. Go back! He's got you. Our family has been through a lot together. You told me that when I was 10. I was in a coma, but I don't remember being sick. We're ready to forget. Ever since then, I see crazy stuff in my dreams. Those are not dreams. It's happening again. Something is following us. I'm going to need you to remain still. Hello? Hello? The riskier the journey becomes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, travelers of the astral plane. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I, it's weird because I, I, I'm doing well, but this movie put me in a bad mood. So <laughs> let's get on with the festivities. <laughs> yeah, would you like you would you like to say you'd, you'd prefer to get further away from this? Movie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and your dad jokes, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, also here, as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on? Um, I, I don't know if it's always happy to be here with that introduction, but uh, yeah. I'm, I personally am, uh, you know, always glad to be here. <laughs> cool. Good to know. Um, so this episode, it should come as no surprise, the theatrical release, the latest in the Insidious franchise, Insidious The Red Door. Um, I, we can never say for certain it's the last one, but, I mean, they kind of it. certainly feels it, it as it, yeah. it certainly yeah. feels it for, for what it's worth. This one certainly feels it. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, IMDb, the synopsis. The Lamberts must go deeper into the further than ever before to put their demon to rest once and for all. If that sounds like a boring, generic, uh, uninspired synopsis, oh, just wait. So, um, <laughs> let's get into our general thoughts on Insidious the Red Door, and I'll start with Venom. Venom, what did you think of Insidious the Red Door? Well, this movie now has a very prestigious uh, category that I've now added to it. So uh, now when you go to the dictionary and look up unnecessary sequel, you will now see a picture of Insidious the Red Door. Holy shit, this movie. What an absolute pointless fucking movie. Um, I'm Again, I'm not going to say it's the worst movie ever. It's not even the worst movie I've watched this month, but... It is probably the most color-by-numbers Insidious movie ever made. It adds nothing to the franchise. And I, I sometimes that's hyperbole when I say that it literally adds nothing. No, my friends, I'm being very fucking literal. This adds nothing 
to the Insidious franchise. We get nothing new out of the Lipstick Demon. We get nothing new out of the Lambert family. Um, it just, wow. And this movie is just, it's basically, like, like, do you guys remember when Insidious was a horror franchise? Remember, like, back in 2011, the glory days when, when Insidious was an actual horror movie? Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what... I don't know what this was. Yeah, yeah, basically the first two. I still enjoyed three and four for whatever reason. I am an insidious uh, kind of um, enthusiast, if you will. I love the first two movies. I absolutely adore them. And I tend to give the rest of the movies in the franchise a little bit of levity because I'm such a fan. But, yeah, my friends, this franchise has definitely lost its way. This was just, an, as I've already said, an unnecessary... A dull, lifeless, spineless uh, movie that it just, like I said, it offered nothing whatsoever. And this is Patrick Wilson's directorial debut, and I'm I'm gonna try not to blame him because he ultimately I don't I, I don't think he wrote it. I think Lee Winnell still wrote it. I, I didn't actually look. Yeah, Lee Winnell still wrote the movie. So I'm I'm gonna put it more on him because he's been writing this franchise since the beginning. Um, or at least since the second film, at the very least. And, you know, he's kind of been the heart and soul of this franchise. And, wow, I'm sorry. I I just, like, like, I've seen cash grabs before. I've never seen such a blatant cash grab. This movie, as I said, it did not need to be made. It wasted an hour and, what, 45 minutes of my life. Um, and this is a franchise I like. I, I usually defend this franchise, and I just can't defend this movie. About the only thing I will say that I really enjoyed about the film was Sinclair Daniel, um, kind of our, our female lead in the movie. I, I, I dare not call her a love interest because technically she's not a love interest in the film. She may become one after the events of the film are over, but as far as in this movie, you know, she's just a friend. But, my God, just some of the ridiculous, um, you know, suspension of disbelief that you have to go through, the whole thing with, you know, them being hypnotized, and it's like, and then it just kind of shows that their hypnotist sucked, because literally the kid draws a picture and suddenly he remembers everything he was hypnotized to forget. I, yeah, the movie has plot holes all over the place. It doesn't make sense that this family broke up after everything that they've been through uh, because mom and dad are kind of separated when this movie starts. And it just seems like considering they didn't lose any of their children, it does seem odd that they're not together anymore. Uh, Just, yeah, even Patrick Wilson, who I usually love, could not save this movie. Like, I don't know, like his character felt lost in this movie half the time, and he kind of is, because he's trying to figure out, you know, what it is that, you know, was kept from him, and, you know, why he's having these weird feelings that he's having, and hallucinations and everything else, but, man, I'm sorry, but this movie was just dull, dull, dull. Uh, In between college freshman life, they tried to pepper in some horror stuff, but... The jump scares are incredibly predictable, as always. I mean, it's a jump scare. And I also noticed there wasn't really all that many. Maybe it's just because I've been desensitized to the insidious slash conjuring jump scares that I just barely noticed them in this movie. But yeah, I feel like they were trying to make 
a psychological thriller based around the further, but not a horror film. Like, the, I mean, even the lipstick demon is so disappointing in this film. He doesn't really get a chance to shine at all. Um, you know, we don't get a great jump scare with him. I mean, just nothing. It's really too bad. So, yeah. Um, Insidious the Red Door is now the sheer definition of unnecessary sequel. I'm done for now. All right. I'll kick it over to Don. Uh, what were your general thoughts on Insidious the Red Door? Uh, well, um, I'm... Now, I, I didn't have as bad a time with it as Venom, but uh, I'm not overall uh, too far away from where he is. And uh, I'm kind of struggling to find something new to bring to the table. But, um, I, I mean, yeah, but, uh, well, I'll just hit the bullet points of what he covered. Um, unnecessary sequel, completely overdone plot points, uh, lack of jump scares, very little atmosphere. Um yeah, no real advancement with any kind of uh, storylines that we've already seen done uh, time and time before. Uh, no real interesting characters to root for. Uh, let's see, what else did he mention? Um, I, I, I will say, I, I did find a few of the jump scares uh, a little bit more effective. Um, I mean, the... The trailer sequence inside the MRI machine is no is probably the uh, single most memorable sequence in there, just because it kind of touches on a genuine fear that I think a lot of people actually have, and it, it, it is somewhat effective. Although why they included just damn near the entire sequence as the trailer kind of baffles me. I think if you actually kept the reveal off of screen and kept those last three seconds off of it when the demon kind of comes out of the darkness, and it's just one of those, is he actually seeing things or is he not? Um, I, I think it would probably have maybe a bit more effect, but... I mean, yeah, none of the demons here have any kind of great sequences. None of the, you know, ones that we actually find because they don't really introduce anything new, which is one of the series' hallmarks in that they always seem to introduce some new impressive demon every, you know, every film. Um, part one had the lipstick demon. Part two had the bride. Um, what was the one in three? I always forget the uh, the, the asthmatic, the asthmatic old man. The asthmatic, yeah, that, that guy. And then the four was the, the key demon. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, they always usually introduce something cool in each one, and we don't really get anything cool here. Um, I mean, I, I'm kind of struggling to even remember the new big bad that they brought in for this one because uh, a lot of it is just, you know, bringing back the series' greatest hits. But, yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't have anything new to add. Uh I, I, I will say it's probably my least favorite of the sequels, although I will want to revisit three. I, I, I do want to revisit three and four just because I do want to separate where they are because one and two are the clear favorites, and then three's maybe a step below, and then four's probably in between three. I, I do like four more than three, but I, I do want to revisit them just because I've seen them once each, so I, I do want to revisit those at some point, but yeah, um, from what I remember, very little of uh, anything here is uh, expanded upon further. There's very little new information that's brought to the table. I can't say I hated it, but I can't say that this is really worth your time. I mean, I, I'm probably maybe one of the 
the ones on this group that actually is an apologist for this jump scare factory kind of style. But yeah, there's very little here that uh, I, I found enjoyable or interesting. So um, yeah, the uh, I, again, I'm, I'm probably sure we're gonna end up making this the uh, you know keyword of the day. Uh, unnecessary sequel is pretty much exactly where. Um, exactly where this one lands. Uh, so I'm going to stop here and let Mike uh, have some thoughts because I'm pretty sure that we've taken most of his just by default. <laughs> yeah, so I pretty much am in agreement with both of you guys. Um, so I'll, I'll say the one thing that kind of hasn't been touched on or maybe indirectly it has been, but to me the biggest cardinal sin this movie makes, and a lot of times... This can happen with franchises once I start getting very like deep into how many entries. Um, the majority of this movie is spent uh, with with the viewers knowing more about everything going on than the main characters, and that's a problem because as when you're in the fifth entry of a franchise and they're not they're not really bringing anything new to the table in this. Like, there's no new aspects of anything going on, no new creatures really uh nothing new about the further nothing new about how anything works so basically the viewer is sitting there for like the first 90 minutes we, we already have all the information needed yet we have to sit through the characters trying to slowly piece together their memory because of the uh i guess botched hypnotism done at the what was it was that uh opening was that the end of the part four because i've only seen them all once except for the first one um, I thought that was the end of part two. Was it the end of part two? Okay. I could be wrong. I, I haven't watched them in a while, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm like Mike. I, I've seen them once, um, and then the original is the only one I've seen multiple times. Okay, yeah. Um, and to me, like, if you're going to do that in a movie, I can understand, like, maybe the first act, it, but this is pretty much primarily the entire movie that the main characters are trying to figure out things the viewers already know and it just kind of neuters everything because it, it means we already know everything that's coming. Every, every time an astral projection happens, we know what it's going to lead to, even though the characters are walking around dumb, like they they don't get it. Um, uh, I agree that they tr- – it's like they attempted to do some of like the greatest hits from the earlier in the franchise, but even those you know characters like in the further get such little – screen time and such a little importance really that I don't understand like I don't understand how someone saw this script and thought this would be an interesting enough movie it just seems like and I know like there's there's kind of been a discussion on like horror social media lately about like uh, the term cash grab and does it really apply to me this definitely applies because other than uh, you know banking on the name insidious drawing people out and according to the box office it, it actually did it was the number one movie of the weekend so uh it's not like business wise uh it was a bad decision to go forward with the movie but like as far as attempting to make a quality entry i i just don't see how someone saw this script and thought it was enough it's, it's just a very bland generic it's almost like one, you know. It's one almost of if us. I didn't know any better, I think this would have been written during the writer's strike. Yeah, <laughs> some someone who, or or like a chat GD, GPT GDP G, God damn it, I can't even say it right. Let's say AI. I think yeah. it's chat. 
You're like an AI trying to write a insidious script based on like a few aspects from the other franchises, and this is what they spit out. There's no soul to it. Uh, it it's just man, like by the time we get to the third act, I'm just like, is this really like the culmination? Like now, and it, it just, I don't know. It, it feels like we didn't learn. We just got nothing new or interesting out of it. Um, and what I was, because some people asked. Uh, my thoughts, and I was like, you know, if you're if you're a fan of the franchise, I always say like I I always tend to be a completist. Like I'm just I'm going to go see, or I'm go- even if it's not in the theater, I'm going to watch like the following entries in a franchise, even if it's out of curiosity. So I would say if you're a fan of the Insidious franchise, sure, go ahead, but don't ex- I, I would expect, or I would say expect one of the lesser entries, like in the lower half, if not the the lowest because this might be the least ranked and that but that's obviously going off memory having only seen them all once but i don't know man i left the theater like if if that's not a sign that the franchise is doa at least until you get some new blood in here maybe like maybe in a decade we'll get a a total reboot because hollywood likes to do those maybe but this has now become one of my most um this is probably going to be one of my most requested reboots in about three or four years yeah, I don't see how – I don't even see how you justify a part six versus actually just rebooting the thing after this because, uh, man, this is just a – such a downer. Um, and, you know, in the so that was the main cardinal mistake. The other one to me is that by the time you're this far into a franchise, you're already dealing with the idea, the concept of diminishing returns when it comes to story. So – what do you do? You've got to ramp up like the, the horror aspects of it, right? Get them into the further and let's do some stuff. Let's get creative. There was nothing. Like they kind of walked through the further with, you know, our, our smoke effects and occasionally something would jump out at them. But other than that, it was like, is that all you're going to do? Like it's almost like going to see a Saw movie with like one or two traps throughout the whole movie and that's all you got. Like by the time you're at Saw 20, you you probably you, you need traps. Apps, like you know, every few minutes to keep us interested. I don't know. That to me, that it just failed on all levels. Uh, the score was good. I mean, Insidious uses. I think most of the movies use pretty much the same score, so I'm always down to hear that booming in my ears when I'm at the theater. It looked pretty. Like obviously, they they know what they're doing with cameras, but man, other than like I guess the aesthetics of yeah, it's an Insidious movie. There just wasn't a whole lot to go on. I'll say I agree with Venom. The um, the friend interest, we'll say, not the love interest, but the friend interest. Yeah. I thought she was really good. She was kind of like a welcome new addition um, to to the cast or to, I guess, the Insidious family. I found I found her role interesting to see like how she would factor in all this. I did kind of get some laughs. I don't know uh, what was it? Oh, the 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 frat leader guy, that idiot. Like I, I the dick. Yeah, I, I got laughed at at him for sure. Oh yeah. Um, I did think the creepy there was the the frat victim ghost or demon or whatever from sick I, boy. I, yeah, sick boy. Uh, I thought he was he was well done. It almost that almost kind of reminded me of the Sixth Sense the way yep. it was almost like a demon calling out for some type of help or like guidance, but. Uh, you know, th- those aspects, why I did enjoy them, not enough to make this movie anything, like, above average. So, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't a big fan of this. So, yeah, I guess I'll leave my general thoughts there. 
Yeah, this movie spends the most amount of time in the further while giving us the least amount of ghosts that we've ever gotten. Because the sick boy uh, ghost, we never even get in the further. He's basically just seen, you know, during you know during one of his astral projections while he's in the frat house. Like we don't actually see him in the further, so it's like, why are we in the further so much? Just to watch these people walk around in a you know fogged up area with no lights. It's really not that exciting anymore. Um, yeah, they really missed the boat with. Um, uh, with villains and antagonists in this one. You know, we only get to see the bride for one quick shot. Um, you know, obviously the lipstick demon is the main baddie, but he just felt so neutered in this movie. It was almost pointless. And apparently the lipstick demon can be beaten by a college freshman's uh, paint. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, this whole, yeah, this whole concept just seems so ridiculous to me. And and Mike is 100% correct. How are you going to have a fifth entry in a movie where the characters in the movie don't know what the fuck's going on and we have to sit through this shit all over again of them learning what the further is? Obviously, it's quicker now than it was in the first movie, but it's still just an absolute drag to have to sit there and, you know, see these people get re-indoctrinated into, you know, the whole further and, and the belief of that further. And even, you know, um, characters in the movie remembering events from previous movies, you know, events that we've already seen that we're already very well familiar with and having to watch them again, you know, from the guise of a different character. Like, you know, the, the camera is basically a different person this time around. I thought they did it expertly with the first two movies where, you know, one scene in particular, uh, a door knock scene occurs in both movies, but it occurs from two different aspects, you know, one from inside the house. And then in the sequel, they did it from outside the house. But that was clever. I thought it was cool. This one, I, I, there was just no nothing clever to it. Um, what what little bit of wit we actually get in this movie is all from Sinclair Daniel um, Chris, uh, you know, our friend, uh, and I also cannot believe that there is an actual college or university in this country that would force a girl to live with a guy in his dorm, even for one night. It seems, I mean, the amount of lawsuits that could stem from that, uh, and, and yeah, this guy isn't creepy at all. He has nightmares. Um, he talks to himself. He draws fucked up creepy pictures. Oh, but yeah, I'll spend the night with him in the dorm unprotected. Rock on. Yeah, so like I said, the, the the suspension of disbelief in this movie is just way too much. Having to watch these people relearn everything that they learned in the first movie, again, was just too much. And then just the college scenes in general. Like, like I would say at least a third of this movie is just like, you know, uh, partying, going to classes. There's two major classroom scenes in this movie which are kind of poignant, but again, they don't really add a whole lot to the film. Um, Don mentioned that the scene of the film probably is the MRI scene, and ultimately, yeah, I can't think of any one particular scene that was uh, either more well done or more thrilling than that one, and it was barely thrilling. Um, I mean, I don't watch trailers, so I didn't know what was coming up. But obviously, if you've watched the trailer, you knew what was coming, and that was probably the best jump scare in the movie. So, 
yeah, just uh, disappointing all around between the filmmaking and the marketing and and Patrick Wilson's direction. I mean, he 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 does a fine job. It's just he doesn't really pull a lot of, especially Dalton. Like Dalton's performance is half dead in this movie, and that's on the director. The director is the one who has to get these performances out of his actors. And he just didn't get it. He got a good performance out of, out of Sinclair Daniel as Chris. But I think she that might be just like her natural personality where she's kind of sassy and spunky like that. So it just be it felt natural for her. But like Dalton's performance, um, uh, the little brother, I forget the little brother's name, Andy, um, the mom, like I said, because the parents are divorced, we don't get a lot of interaction between mom and dad in this film. Only a couple of quick scenes. And yeah, it just... You know, other than the lipstick demon and Patrick Wilson being in here, it just doesn't feel like an insidious movie. Like I said, even the scenes in the further were just long and dull and really added nothing to the story. So it's like, why are we back here? You know, unless you're going to introduce me to some new demons, maybe a new ghost from his past. uh, Just give me something. And then the final just kick in the balls, and I'm sorry if I'm kind of getting into spoilers here, but the final, but I think most people expected this anyway. It's an insidious movie. But yeah, the final kick in the balls is to fucking bring Lin Shay back from the dead. And for what? For fucking what? It was such a waste to have her in this movie, um, especially the second scene that she's in. Oh my God. I, I literally wanted to strangle Patrick Wilson. After that second scene with her, I'm just like, are you fucking joking? Are you fucking joking? <laughs> You're breaking all your own rules of, of the further and afterlife and everything else. So, yeah, just I, and, and I know that's how, you know, this franchise is dead, because even with Lynn Shay, it can't give us a competent chapter. It can't give us a chapter with even mild enjoyment. Obviously, Don seems to be the highest of all of us, and I do like this franchise. Like, I went in with high hopes. I was really hoping that they were going to be able to bounce back. Not that I disliked The Last Key. I actually like The Last Key better than the third one. That's uh, what I third, remember, too. Yeah, the third one with the girl with the broken leg didn't – I mean, I still enjoyed it, but it didn't do a whole hell of a lot for me, especially because, the, the, you know, the main bad guy was basically an asthmatic old man. Whereas, you know, the key demon, and there was some imagery in in the last key, or, yeah, the last key, yeah. Uh, There was some imagery in that movie that I also found really, really cool. And this movie, nothing. There were no single shots that really spoke to me, no progression, no scene progressions that I thought, ooh, that was well done. It's just, it's all about... Um, Sinclair Daniel and her, her character Chris. Anytime she's on screen, it might it makes the movie the movie a little bit more watchable, a little bit more fun, you know, a little bit more free as far as like free spirit type thing. But yeah, any scene with just Dalton or just Patrick Wilson with you know a ghost or two, we've seen it before and done better, mind you. So yeah. I don't want to poo-poo on Patrick Wilson's directing skills. I mean, everyone gets better. No one is a master on their first try, unless you're Jordan Peele, but that's that's a story for another show. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that he continues to direct, and I hope he continues to direct genre films, too. I want to see what he can do, maybe give him an original story or write something, write and direct something. That's usually where you really make your bones once you become a writer-director. But, yeah, this one, 
there's just very little positive I can take out of it. Like I said, other than uh, the character of Chris, there's, I mean, even the lipstick demon, like, I don't know, like, he almost didn't even look right to me. Like, the few shots that we actually get of him, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, eh, yeah, I, I guess that's him. Like, we just barely got any of him. That's what I mean. We have a ghost story with few ghosts in it, and that's upsetting. You know, I mean, not every movie can be the haunting where you don't see anything, but it's still scary as shit. And of course, I mean the haunting, the original, not that awful 99 remake. Anyway. Oh, God, Insidious. Uh, yeah, I really, really hope this franchise is done. As much as I enjoy this franchise and as much as I... Uh, I don't want to say that I hated this movie. I, I didn't hate it. It still has the elements of Insidious. You know, it's still something... But the franchise needs to die. Just, yeah, like, like I'm not even as optimistic as Mike. I, I don't want to see another Insidious movie, even if they get new blood, new story writers, you know, screenwriters, blah, blah, blah. Just let this die. Um, write something original and start over, you know. Start another great horror franchise. But this one, I mean, honestly, it should have been done after four. After the last key, it should have been done. This movie, like I said, I, I don't know what the purpose of this film was. Like, literally, I cannot think of the purpose of this film other than to be a cash grab. I, I mean, and I hate saying that because I love movies. This is art, and I look at them as art. And I hate making a statement like that, that this movie feels like a cash grab. But it's really the most accurate statement I can make. There was no artistic purpose for this film, only monetary. So, there you go. Anything else you guys want to chime in on before we get into uh, spoilers? I'm good. Uh, just the point you brought up about the Lin Shay moment at the end. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Um, yeah, like that. That's the only scene in the movie that actually made me mad. Like I was angry. I'm like, fuck you. Why the fuck would you disrespect her like that? Just fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least when they did the little cameo of her. Uh, yeah, but like the videotape thing. Yeah, that was cool. That was fun. yeah, that was cool. And uh, the the exorcism guys uh, website for their oh, business specs. or whatever. Yep. like that that made sense. <laughs> like the way they appeared, but yeah. that Lynn Shay thing at the end was just like, what? Why? <laughs> I'm also surprised that um, despite the wife knowing what was happening to Josh and Dalton. She never once called them. She never called Specs and the other guy. Even though they've got experience with this. They know what they would be up against. Uh, potentially they could be more help. She doesn't call anybody. She doesn't call fucking anyone for help. She's just like, ah, fuck it. They can deal with it. And, and I'm not kidding. She literally just sends her husband into the further. It's like, really? Last time you all, you all almost died and you had professional help and now you're just going to go into it by yourselves. So, yeah, just more reason to dislike this movie, which, like I said, I don't – as a whole, I don't dislike it. I just will never watch it again and, yeah, hope that we don't get another one. <laughs> I don't know what else I can say. I, saw, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I, this movie is so dull and unnecessary – all you can do is repeat yourself. So, all right, folks. Well, I guess that is going to be your final spoiler warning. 
this is going to be an incredibly incomplete walkthrough because um, it's dull as shit, and I don't care very much, but I'm going to do my best. Our movie opens up at a funeral, and it is, of course, the funeral of Patrick Wilson's uh, mother, Josh Dalton's mother, uh, Josh Dalton, Josh Lambert's mother. In the film, the woman who, you know, uh, that we saw in the first two movies who had a prominent role, especially in the first one, um, it's basically her funeral. And then we get a time jump, like the, the time jumps like a few years. Well, actually, before the time jump, we, we do get to see one more scene in uh, the past, and that's the scene where um, Josh and Dalton are both hypnotized to forget everything that occurred over the last year. So everything that they dealt with in the first two films basically was wiped from their mind. But because of that, it kind of caused, like, anxiety and things like that in both Josh and Dalton because, especially for Dalton, he misses an entire year. He's like, he li he even has a conversation in the film when he's talking to Chris about, I don't remember my 10th year. I don't remember being 10 years old. It's like I, I was supposedly in a coma, and then when I woke up, I was 11. So... And and that was because of the hypno, uh, the hypnotist wiping that memory. So, yeah, well, who thought that was a good idea is beyond me. But, yeah, there you go. Um, so now we get the time jump. Dalton is no longer 10 years old. Now he is 18. He is starting college. He's going to a liberal arts college uh, looking for an art degree. So, of course, you're going to have a lot of liberal folks uh, on campus, and on his first day there, he meets Chris, who is his roommate. And obviously, because the, uh, her name is Chris, he thought it was going to be a girl. Uh, apparently, the admissions board made the same mistake, or the, or the housing board of the school made the same mistake and put them in the same room. Um, as soon as they figured out you know, the mistake, uh, Chris goes to the administrative office to try to um, you know, correct the situation. Unfortunately, she's told that they don't have anywhere for her to stay tonight. So if that, if it's not a problem, if she could just go ahead and stay with um, Dalton for one night and then they'll take care of her housing situation the next day. Like I said, I can't imagine that would ever happen in a reputable college or university in this country. Just the sheer amount of lawsuits that could potentially stem from something like that. God forbid yeah, something happens. I think this happens. only exists in penthouse letters. Yeah, thank you. There you go, exactly. <laughs> penthouse forum. <laughs> so, anyway, um, and, you know, Chris and Dalton spend that first night kind of getting to know each other, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, Chris, like I said, she seems like a really cool chick, like, you know, very sassy, outgoing, kind of fun, too. Like, you know, she has no problem playing practical jokes and, you know, fucking around with the frat boys. Literally two minutes after walking into the frat house, her suggestion is, let's go look through all their shit, you know? And I like that. That's You know, it's not malicious. It's not like she's going to destroy anything or steal anything. Yeah, she's just curious. Um, so... Um, you you, you kind of get endeared to that character fairly quickly. Okay, so on Dalton's first day at school, he has an art class with a very sought-after professor, someone who he's very excited to be learning from, and she basically challenges um, the, all the kids in the class. She has them pull out an art piece that means a lot to all of them, 
you know, either something that took them a long time or something that they're very, you know, fond of, that they're close to, whatever the case may be. She goes to the first kid and says, um, oh, you know, the interesting how it looks like a photograph. And the kid says, thank you. The teacher instantly is like, that was not a compliment. It looks like a photograph, but it's a drawing. That's not a compliment, my friend. And then she tells him to tear up the art. Um, the kid is like, this took me, you know, blah, blah, blah amount of hours to do it. To, you know, it was my heart and soul poured into this art and you want me to just destroy it. And she said, yes, because that is the nature of art. We destroy, erase and improve. And, um, he refused to destroy it. So basically she just kicks him out of his class, out of her class. Uh, she kicks him out of her class and then she continues to talk. And then we hear a rip in the background and it's, Dalton, and he's torn up his picture, the one that he pulled out, which was actually a hand-drawn, really nice charcoal picture of his grandmother, of the woman who just died at the beginning of the film. And he just tears that up like nothing. Uh, the teacher at first, you know, gets upset with him, like, why would you tear up that beautiful picture? But then, you know, she realizes, you know, what's going on, and, and she tells them to tear it up one more time just for good measure. And he does, and, you know, they have kind of like a nice little bonding moment there. But in class that day, she tells them that I want you to wipe your minds clean, and I want you to just, you know, draw. Draw a figure, draw whatever comes to mind. And she has them, she has everyone in the class close their eyes while she counts backwards from ten. Now, anybody who's familiar with the Insidious franchise knows that Dalton and Josh don't usually last a 10 count. They usually fall asleep uh, before they get to the 10 count. Um, so she does the 10 count. Dalton doesn't actually fall asleep necessarily, but he does close his eyes and he gets an image in his head, an image of a red door with someone in front of the door, someone standing in front of it, potentially holding a weapon. We're not sure yet. Um, the figures are all blobs at this point. He actually, you know, he hasn't added the detail yet, blah, blah, blah. So the movie continues to go along. Um, Dad and Austin, or excuse me, Josh and Dalton, father and son, they have a strained relationship. Um, you know, they, they have some back and forth throughout the film, throughout the first half of the film, I'd say. Um, eventually once, uh, Dalton and Josh are both given the information that yes, you can both travel through, you know, the astral plane. And that's where we're, in, where we see Lin Shay again for the first time. It's basically just a video that someone took of her explaining astral travelers, astral projectors, things like that. So, and it's good. It's a good refresher, you know, for, you know, even if you, if you're familiar with the franchise, it's always a good refresher, you know, especially when it's quick and when it's delivered by Lynn Shea. So yeah, that's acceptable. Um, at this point, uh, Dalton starts to kind of buy into the astral projection thing and he ends up falling asleep while painting in his room one night. And, 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 you know, we, we get the same kind of, um, uh, tension and setup that we're familiar with, you know, he, he wakes up, suddenly the world is colorless, you know, it, it, it's like a single tone, there's fog all over the ground, and then he gets up to walk out of the room, he looks back in the room and sees his sleeping body still in the chair in front of his artwork that he was working on. He then ends up going upstairs, uh, to Chris's new room as it, turns out Chris has been moved to the room directly above theirs. That's convenient. 
So, you know, Chris just, you know, he's not really understanding what's going on. This is the first time that he's actually, he doesn't understand that he's, you know, projecting or, you know, um, leaving his body necessarily. Um, this is just kind of his learning experience. He ends up going upstairs and playing a couple of notes on her keyboard thing, and which frightens her. Her being frightened ends up frightening him. He ends up dropping the keyboard, running out of the room, closing the door behind him, even though he's completely invisible. Um, she starts to realize that, shit, was that him? Was he fucking with me? Um, only because of some of the conversations that they had had on their first night in that room together. You know, some of the conversations about being in a coma when he was 10 and losing an entire year of his life and blah, 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 blah. Um, she ends up going down, going downstairs to uh, Dalton's room. Dalton instantly admits it, and this is one of the. This is another thing that I kind of like about this movie is that Chris isn't the skeptical friend. I know longtime listeners know how much I get sick of skeptics in horror movies. I know it's you know it's basically a requirement for a lot of horror films now that they have to have a skeptical person that, you know, makes fun of someone who says, oh, there's a monster in my closet or there's a ghost haunting me or whatever the case may be. But Chris is very understanding. Right off the bat, she believes everything that uh, Dalton is telling her. Um, and then, you know, with that situation on the second night when, you know, she's visited by his, you know, astral projection, she starts to buy into it more and more. He starts to talk more and more about his coma and some of the things that he saw, um, blah, blah, and some of the stories that were relayed to him, of what he remembers anyway. Don't forget, this is post-hypnotism. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then Dad uh, basically decides to get therapy. So Josh decides to see a doctor. First he sees, you know, a physical doctor to make sure that his body and mind are physically fine. And that's when we get the MRI scene and, you know, we get the jump scare as we see in the trailer. He ends up getting out of the MRI machine. The doctor claims, no, you've been asleep for the last five minutes. You weren't yelling. I just decided to let you sleep because you seemed comfortable. But what we saw was him freaking out and, you know, the lights going out in the MRI machine, him squeezing the, uh, the fail-safe button to try to get out of it. But it's the, it almost seemed like the power went out in the hospital wing. Um, so, yeah, uh, like I said, we get our, we get our jump scare. Um, he ends up finding out from the doctor that there's nothing physically wrong with him and that he should potentially look into therapy maybe. Um, I don't think he actually ever does look into therapy because he, before he gets the chance to, he finally does get the truth out of his uh, – I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if they're separated or divorced in this movie. They may have mentioned it, but I probably wasn't paying attention. Um, so basically, finally, the wife does admit to him, you know, you're an astral projector. You can, you, you know, you can leave your body when you're in sleep mode and travel through through the astral plane, uh, which we call the further, blah, blah, blah. So after he gets the explanation of everything, he starts, he basically starts to realize that, oh, shit, Josh might be in trouble. Um, cause Josh is in, he's a college, you know, kind of far, like about an hour away. I think they mentioned he's about an hour away from home. Um, so obviously, you know, dad's worried that Josh is dealing with this thing by himself. Um, I don't, I don't know what leads to it, but basically we get a situation where the, uh, where the lipstick demon does eventually possess Dalton. 
Uh, they have an interaction. I think it's at the frat house, but I might be wrong. Uh, they end up having a little bit of a confrontation, and uh, the lipstick demon does actually take possession of Dalton's body for a short time. He ends up attacking Chris. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there, there's multiple flashbacks throughout the movie. Like I said, scenes that we've seen uh, from previous movies. Uh, we, we get to kind of rewatch the scene where, um, where Josh, while possessed by the bride, is uh, basically attacking his own family, you know, going after them. And throughout the film, too, um, Dalton is adding more and more to the piece of artwork that he's working on. So it starts to get clearer and clearer what's actually happening until finally at the end, when he's done with the artwork, he sees that it's his father standing in front of the red door holding a hammer and looking very menacing in the picture, almost like he's trying to attack. And then, you know, the the memories start kind of rushing back in. W what we see is adult Dalton, like present-day Dalton, but he's kind of in the further watching events uh, from the past. And the specific event, like I said, was Josh being possessed by the bride and uh, chasing this family around. Eventually, he he basically raises a hammer up to Dalton, uh, to young Dalton, who is, you know, to young Dalton's body. Young Dalton is currently in the further looking for his father. These are all events from Insidious Part 2. And um, basically, adult Josh, uh, excuse me, not Josh, adult um, Dalton, uh, basically prevents his father from attacking his younger self. So he's he's actually able to interact with, uh, you know, the, the people in these flashbacks and whatnot. Um, he is eventually able to get, you know, to stop the attack. Um, he ends up waking up, blah, blah, blah. That's when he realizes that he's kind of possessed by the lipstick demon. Uh, he wasn't possessed by the demon for very long. Literally, it's like one quick scene where he kind of has an interaction with his with Chris, his former roommate. Um, but, you know, like I said, they, they kind of, he snaps out of that. I forget specifically what gets the demon out of him, if he hurt himself or something. But I, I, I again, like I said, this movie's so unmemorable that, you know, I'm surprised I remember as much as I have. All right, so um, at this point, we get to kind of the finale of the film. At this point, um, Dalton um, is now the one trapped in the further, because as I said, the, uh, the lipstick demon has possessed Dalton's body. So just like we saw in, you know, Insidious Part 1 or 2, I forget which, when young Dalton was being kept in a cage by the Lipstick Demon, now it's college-age Dalton being held in a cage by the Lipstick Demon. And, uh, of course, Patrick, or, or Josh, I should say, decides to voluntarily go back into the further. And this is what I mean. Like, they're doing this without any supervision, even though they needed all these experts in the first movie. And now it's just kind of like, ah, fuck it. We can go into the further anytime we want. We're good. So eventually, yes, Josh does go into the further. Uh, they end up having an altercation with the lipstick demon, of course. And basically, they just, they don't actually, like, kill the lipstick demon. They actually just kind of escape the lipstick demon. And what happens is... Um, they end up escaping his lair and going out the red door. But Josh 
is kind of holding the door because the demon is trying to Excuse me, I got the hiccups, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, the demon is trying to smash through the door. Um, Josh holds the door back, and then he tells his son, get out of here. Um, you know, this, this ends with me, basically, which was a line that his father had said um, in his suicide note. And, yes, we do actually find out who Patrick Wilson's father is. You know, no one that we've met before. It just turned out to be um, a schizophrenic guy. Um, who ended up committing suicide by jumping off the roof of the mental facility that he was staying at, um, which is why Josh never met his father, you know, why he always had a bad image of his father all through his life that, you know, he left and was never around, blah, blah, blah. Now we know why, because he was dead. Um, oh, by the way, I, I have to ask, and I know I'm probably grasping at straws and talking about shit that nobody cares about, but when when they first showed the picture of Josh's father, did anybody else think he looked like the lipstick demon without makeup? Or was that just me? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> kind of. I, I can see where you're going from. It wasn't I, – I don't know if it would have been something that I would have immediately thought of, but I seeing it, seeing it back in my head as you're replaying this, I, I can see where you're going for it. Yeah. I don't know if it would be something that I would – think of myself or if I'm going to subconsciously think of it sure, if I sure. do a rewatch, but I, I mean, that, like I said, I'm, I'm, repl uh -huh. I'm replaying it back in my head and I can see where you're coming from, but my first thought was always that was a female demon from the start, so I don't know if that if that knowledge is going to impact it if I go if I rewatch the others going forward. Um, well, I mean, I did look it up and actually the lipstick demon and, uh, Josh's dad are played by two different actors. So that they're, they're probably not going for that. I, I, I had this, I had the same feeling watching Terrifier too. When, when our main girl was describing her father and talking about how his father went crazy and, you know, um, obsessing over clowns and shit instantly. I'm like, Oh shit. Her father is Art the Clown. So that was like my theory walking out of Terrifier 2. Maybe I'm just a conspiracy theorist and I don't know it. <laughs> and I just look for this shit. Because like I said, when they first showed the close-up picture, the picture of his father's face, I'm looking at it like, son of a bitch, that looks just like the lipstick demon, but without all the red shit on his face and with normal teeth and everything. Obviously, yeah, but, then once, that, but then the uh -huh. other thing, too, is, is that it doesn't really play into the backstory if the father is the schizophrenic that just dumped off the medical facility, then the lipstick demon should be should have more of that played up in the overall design. Like, there's nothing about it that kind of indicates sure. that indicates you know like psycho like psychotic mental patient. If this film would have done its job and indicated that that would have been you know one of his personalities, I can see that that would maybe be like a hidden Easter egg that you know either be yeah. like a red herring or something, but I mean, you know, it, since it doesn't do its job and, you know, lead us to that conclusion, I, I it's a fine theory, but I, I don't know if I would have gone there myself. Yeah, I don't think the theory holds any water by any stretch. It's just a red light went off in my head when I first saw that picture. That was all. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, it, it's, it's me being... Uh, grasping at straws, like I said. I, I, I try to find explanations where I can. Because like Don said, the movie was so bad at giving us explanations and and culminations and everything else that you kind of have to fill in the blanks yourself. So 
I filled in some blanks, probably incorrectly, but I still did it. So there you go. Uh, anyway, uh, back to the red door. Um, like I said, Josh and Dalton have escaped the lipstick demon. Uh, Josh is holding him back on the other side of the door. He tells his son, just get out of here. There's no need for you to waste your life with this. I'll, I'll deal with this. I'll stay here as long as I have to. I'm assuming with the intention that he was just going to let his body, you know, in in the real world just die so that his spirit can hold the lipstick demon back. But uh, basically, Josh disappears, or not Josh, excuse me, Dalton disappears. He leaves, uh, and then he wakes up in his dorm room, and he starts doing something with the the artwork, the, the, the painting that he's been drawing. We're not sure what yet, but he's doing something. So back to the further, Patrick Wilson is still there holding the demon back. And eventually what we start to see is we start to see uh, the, the door start turning black. Yes, they saw a red door and they painted it black. Uh, anyway, I, yes, I'm old. Shut up. I'm <laughs> very slick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, w- when we go back to the real world and we finally see what Dalton is doing, Dalton is basically just covering the entire painting with black ink, um, not just the door. Literally, he's just broad strokes all the way across the painting, just covering it in black paint. And basically, um, at one point, the lipstick demon is able to break through the door with just his arm. Like, he basically punches through the door, and he's grabbing Patrick Wilson by the throat, you know, trying to pull him back inside. And we see the black paint kind of falling down on the door, getting lower and lower. And, you know, and you know, we get the camera going back and forth between Josh and Dalton. Dalton is, you know, painting black over the artwork while Josh is dealing with a ever-shrinking red door. Eventually, the red door is completely gone, and when we go back to the real world, we see that uh, that Dalton's painting is completely black. So uh, <laughs> that alludes to my comment earlier where I said uh, uh, an 18-year-old artist can beat the lipstick demon with black paint. There you go. And that's exactly what he did he basically he defeats the demon or should i say they escape the demon as soon as the door is completely black um patrick wilson's character basically gets up and leaves the further uh he wakes up back with his body at his ex-wife's house blah 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 everybody's happy um dalton has been saved the younger brother didn't have really any role in this movie other than just a couple of phone calls that he had but otherwise he was just a decoration um same thing with mom even though mom did have some poignant moments later on she was still basically a decoration in this movie and then the only thing that we get as a post credit scene is we just we get a shot of the door painted black and then we see the light above the door just flicker on. Like, it, it's off when the camera first shows it, and the light flicks on, and that's it. Fade to black, and that's our movie. So, yeah, not much of a post credit scene. Nothing worth staying for. It, like I said, it's just a quick image of the once red door that is now black. Yeah. That's it. The flickering light. So in the further, they uh, don't change their light bulbs very often, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bride the bride hasn't paid the power bill in the further for decades. So. Get on your job, woman. That's what we pay you for. Really? What the fuck? I am – as I was doing the walkthrough, one of the things that I really miss – and I don't know – I don't know if you guys miss it. You might think it's stupid and hokey, but I always enjoyed it. 
those scenes in the first two movies where they would be in the further, but there would be other people there in the further. And like, on a, like literally the camera would flash and suddenly they would, their head would be turned and they'd be smiling at you. Like just little creepy shit like that, that they did in the first two movies. I missed it sorely in this one. Like right. I said, the, the further be- was, uh-huh, go ahead. I was going to say, it could be budget. Um, I mean, it was probably shot during the pandemic, so they probably didn't want to bring those that many people together. That's possible. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, other than the party scene here, we don't really see big crowds of people in the movie. And even the party scene isn't all that populated, honestly. Yeah. Kind of um, an underwhelming frat house, to be honest. Yeah, very much so. But it's a liberal arts college, too, so oh, it's true. not... It's not like they're a bunch of jocks. I mean, look at the look at the frat leader, Nick the Dick. He's basically like five foot six, a hundred and four pounds, soaking wet. <laughs> uh. Okay, can I go home now? <laughs> I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, there's really not much else to be said. Like. Like like we've already gone over, it felt pretty uninspired. Like I don't know if there was like some type of contractual obligation to make a fifth one, so they just went ahead and did it, or they were like, "Hey, looking at the box office of the past entries, we know it'll make some money." But uh, yeah, there wasn't much. <laughs> there wasn't much to this one. Very basic. And even the supposed greatest hits that you would think they have to hit in an Insidious movie. Even those felt like the bare minimum effort to get those check marks in there. So just, you know, overall not not very good. Not one of the better entries in the franchise. But uh, Probably the worst, sadly. Yeah, could be. If, I hate if, to use the word worst, but, I mean, what better it, word is there to use? It very well could be. The only reason I didn't definitively say is just the lack of memory of, like, a lot of three and four otherwise. But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if on a rewatch I determined that this one was my least favorite as well. <laughs> and then the, not exactly a very promising situation having to rewatch all of these again. Yeah. <laughs> well, figuring out that is probably not going to be a uh, very high priority. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, with that said, uh, uh, we're. Uh, Gonna get to the further, I guess, by getting out of here. So uh, before we do that, let's find out what else uh, we got out that can be heard. So Venom, I'll start with you. All right, happy to announce that Creature Comforts episode 18 is available. On that episode, we looked at the new Thai creature feature, The Lake, that was just released a couple of months ago. So check that episode out. That was a quickie, one of our shortest episodes, but a fun one nonetheless. And Honestly, that's about it. Unfortunately, there was a a family emergency this weekend, so the main show got postponed for another week. So, fingers crossed, um, episode, what, 55 or 56, whatever the hell we're up to on the main show will get recorded this coming weekend. And that's pretty much it for me. I did record my guest spot for the Joe Blow Horror Show, but that episode hasn't been released yet. Once that's released, I'll go ahead and announce it. And that's pretty much it for me. It's been a slow month. All right. Uh, Don, how about you? Yeah, um, as mentioned, Creature Comforts is available. Uh, That one was a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, one of my favorite films of the year. So uh, definitely glad we got to cover it. 
Um, I can finally, with good conscience, say that one of my uh, two guest spots is finally out into the open, uh, and it is the one that I'm the more proud of. It is uh, the Road to Nowhere podcast. Um, you can pretty much find it how it's spelled, um, although beware that it's actually not um, Nowhere, N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Um, it's actually like knowledge. It's a pun. So uh, K-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Um, although, again, it should be pretty easy to uh, find like that. Uh, it's basically me uh, doing a uh, triple bill of Lucio Fulci films. Uh, the host was uh, inexperienced in uh, the Italian maestro, and uh, I did my best to educate him with uh, looks at Don't Torture a Duckling, Zombie, and City of the Living Dead. So uh, pretty much one of the best intros that you could think of for uh, that kind of a situation. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, A couple of other fun little tangents we went on. Um, This is the same guy that uh, was on my found footage um, one, the one that lasted for two and a half hours. So this was the uh, reciprocation one. He was on mine. I went on his. And uh, it was was a pretty fun time. So uh, if you enjoyed the found footage one, you'll enjoy me on his show. So uh, there's that. And uh, the other one is the uh, latest episode of the Horror Countdown, which uh, was a really fun time. Um, we um, ended up looking at uh, religious horror. So uh, that was a fun time looking at satanic worship and uh, other kind of fun stuff like that. Uh, you can go ahead and find that one wherever it's available. Um, and, yeah, I guess uh, now that that's off, I'm just waiting on the uh, – Stew World Order show, where uh don't know when that one's coming out, but uh I've been promising that these would going to be released sooner rather than later, and one of them proved true, so I guess I'm just forced now to wait on the other one. But uh I guess that's pretty much it for me. All right. Um, as far as I go, nothing new to report. Uh, Venom kind of already went over. Uh, we have stuff on the close horizon that hopefully will get recorded. Um and other than that, the only other thing I have to mention, I was going to mention at the beginning of the show, but I kind of got right into this episode. Um, it was just a housekeeping thing. For anyone that listens to the shows on YouTube versus Dark Discussions Network, uh, it came to my attention because I got an email alert. For some reason, the Run Rabbit Run episode, YouTube took it down due to a copyright strike. And I, I looked at the email and it it seems like the the uh, the request came from like some random account in a foreign country. Like I can't make any sense of it, nor can I make any sense of like what would qualify as a copyright. Um, now, back when I when we originally started Fresh Cuts, I used to use like licensed music, like outro music. So way back then, like there was a couple times when the show would get like flagged, but I never got a copyright strike. It would just say, oh, it's a limited reach or you can't be monetized. So I actually stopped putting licensed music as the outro, and I've never had an issue since. So I don't know if this is just like a random weird occurrence. Maybe there's a process to uh, fight it. Maybe I will. Um, But in the meantime – if you saw it pop up in your feed and you didn't have a chance to listen for the for the time being, just uh, go to Dark Discussions or I'm I'm sure like I'm pretty sure Phil puts them on, on all like the podcast listening apps too, yes. so you can find it there. And I'll I'll try to work on getting 
that episode back up on YouTube. I'm not. I've never had an actual copyright strike, so I'm not overly familiar with the process of like trying to fight it and get it back up. I'm just thinking maybe it's the trailer because then you put the trailer at the beginning. It could be, but I mean, I pretty much do that for every episode, and it's. I'm I'm just saying maybe it's because it's. I don't know. Maybe it's just Netflix, and we because we haven't covered one. Netflix is kind of guarding it. I mean, I mean you know I, how they are physical I, media. Yeah, I mean, I could see if it was like I don't know what studio did Run Rabbit Run, but if it was like a request from like an actual company or studio involved with the movie, I could see it. But it looks like it was like just a random like I don't know if it was like a yeah, bot well, user yeah, or, or what. I, it doesn't make well, much I mean, that's sense. That's what I'm saying. Like not even not looking at it. Maybe I mean I I don't know that anyway. But I mean not looking at it. I'm just making a guess here. Yeah, um, but I'll I'll look into that and see if I can't get it back up because it's like I I gotta say like I, I'm pretty happy with the numbers we get on on YouTube without me other than the post you know I don't really overly advertise it but people seem to be listening on YouTube so um, hopefully I can get that episode back up but you know as far as everything else is concerned I'm still going to be regularly uploading everything there every week and then the other shows uh, that are part of No More Room in Hell's umbrella as well so um, yeah if no one get freaked out by that one getting taken down it's not going to really change anything going forward and then um, as far as our next episode I don't know if anything theatrically comes out no. this week I know on Netflix, Nothing. that Bird Box sequel is coming oh, out God. Friday. Do we have to watch that? We don't have to. I, was, I just I just know good. for sure that's one thing that is really – but I'm sure there's plenty of others. Yeah. I was looking. There's there's three major options I think that we have. Um, uh, Shutter dropped uh, the Etheria Film Night 2023, which is uh, basically an anthology um, with uh, female directors, horror directors. Is that an actual movie, or is that just a collection of stuff? It's a collection of shorts, right? Yeah, it's a collection, not like a proper feature film, though. But it's being presented as Film Night 2023, so I would count it as a release. I mean, I would add it to my numbers if I watched it. It's still a movie. Um, you know, It's not like I'm watching eight different shorts from different sources or whatever. You know, The fact that Shutter is putting them all together. Much what that, that's what I thought it was. That's thought, what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a collection. It's not like a horror No, no, I, I understand that, but what I'm saying is that they put them together and presented it to us as this package of a theory of film night 2023. It's uh, it's 107 minutes long. So yeah, because yes, you're it I understand what you're saying that it's not a true anthology, but it it, it it is a product from 2023 that was curated by Shutter and has now been released. So that's all I'm saying. So it's, since it's not a TV series, I'm going to say it qualifies. Because what is an anthology but a bunch of short films, ultimately? Anyway, uh, there's also The Flood, which is hitting VOD this week. That is, it looks like a crocodile movie or, or alligator. Uh, it looks like there's an alligator on the cover of the poster. Uh, I didn't read anything about it, but the, I know that drops on VOD this week. And and then the the only other thing I know of is something called the Deep Web Murder Show, which <laughs> is a Tubi. It's a Tubi original. Yeah. So yeah, you get you get what you pay for with Tubi. So <laughs> we do have options anyway. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Plus, like there could be stuff we 
there's always like these surprise things that drop too that like I never saw on any list ever. So um, we'll see throughout the week. Probably stuff getting added to various streaming platforms, and we'll we'll figure it out. We got options. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Stop making insidious movies, for fuck's sake. Yeah, keep the door shut on this franchise.